This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. So we're going to talk about BC's youth generation and that generation in debt. Um, one of the cool things that Sands & Associates does is talks to a lot of people, make, does a lot of studying of who are the people they're looking after and how can they look after them uh, the best way possible. So we know that financial challenges hit everybody. There's no boundaries or age limits on these. Sands & Associates uh, does an annual study examining trends and key information about British Columbians facing financial difficulties. So people who respond to the studies are separated into three a, a, uh, age range groups or demographics. And for this segment, we're going to talk about the youth youth generation. Uh, Blair, who who is the youth generation? Because what I think the youth generation is might not be mm-hmm. how you guys perceive it. Yeah, so the, the idea of youth has definitely shifted over, over the ages. You know, from our purposes in the study, um, you know, we identified it as those um, aged 30 and under. So, okay. you know, 18 is not the milestone it once was. People aren't leaving home, you know, at 18, 19 years old like they once were. Okay, right. Um, so, yeah, so we cut it off at 30 because it seemed at that point, you know, most people are out of school. They're starting to, you know, make their way on their own. Um, but what we found is that they're often very crippled, very handcuffed um, by a lot of debt that, that's accumulated either during school or sometimes after school. So how much debt are we talking about here? Well, the good part is compared to the other demographics. So we had, you know, youth and we had, you know, a few other age ranges. Then we had senior citizens. Um, yeah. You know, in general, youth uh, individuals owed less than senior citizens, but they were still very worried about it. So right. the, the majority of folks, you know, about 40% of the study, um, they owed between ten dollars and $25,000. That's a lot of money. It is, especially if you're young, less than, less than 30 years old. And, you know, we're talking, this is excluding any mortgage, excluding a car loan. Um, this is your standard consumer consumer debt, and student loans. Wow. That's mm-hmm. significant. Consumer debt and, of course, the student loan. Yeah, uh, and, and even beyond, beyond that, Elaine, so, you know, that was 40%, right. but, but a full third, um, you know, they owed more than that. They were between twenty five dollars and $50,000 of debt. So you can imagine, you know, being 28 years old and being $50,000 in debt, that can seem hopeless. And and I want to think that, that most of that in that situation or for that person would be student debt. You would think that, but as we dug into the actual, you know, asking people why did you get into debt and what's contributing to the situation, uh, it was only 14% of people said it was student loans or student lines of credit. Wow. Now, this is self-reported, and I can tell you a lot of young people that come in, it is the student loans that are crippling them, and it's often student loans that's, you know, seizing wages and seizing assets and freezing bank accounts. But when people self-identify, I think it's, you know, something deep within our DNA, we tend to blame ourselves first. Sure. So when we ask people, you know, what was the real reason, you know, why you got into trouble here, uh, 24% of people said they blamed themselves. They said it was overextension of credit. It was financial mismanagement. I got too much credit. I got it too young and I didn't know what to do with it. So, you know, that was the most common response that people said. 
the other thing that comes to mind too is if somebody is self-reporting, mm-hmm. it they may be giving you the the best case scenario or the bottom end of it versus the top end of it, right? Like yeah. you're going to under-report a little bit because of that shame and uncomfortableness mm-hmm. with it. Well, it, it's interesting, and and I find you know when I speak to I've got some clients who are doctors, and they say you know when they ask a patient, for example, you know how much do you smoke, they know the patient is going to understate it. You know they're just going to feel embarrassed. They say you know usually they're going to double it and they're going to add to it or something. Right. You know, I find when I ask people about their financial situation, they are so wide open and so self-critical about it uh, that I find it, it's completely different. So oh, I, I think okay. sometimes when I actually go through it, I see, well, no, it's the $50,000 student loan that, that's really getting you here. It's not the $10,000 oh. that, yes, you over you overspent, and I'm sure you feel very bad about it. Okay. Um, but I think psychologically, we tend to really blame ourselves, and we tend to really say it's individual responsibility. I incurred this debt, therefore I must pay it back. Back, but sometimes life happens. Yeah. And again, we're talking, you know, people under under 30 years old. Right. So for the most part, they, they blame themselves. They said they overextended. You know, student loans were also a big factor, but even more than, than student loans, the second most common cause that, um, you know, people under 30 had financial difficulties based on was relationship breakdown. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, going so for, you've bought a place with somebody or even just, just maybe a lease or something? Yeah. 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 Anytime, you know, you're going from two incomes to one income, that is a huge financial disruption. You yeah. know, you can imagine, you know, even your first and last month's rent, security deposit, having to buy new furniture. So across all of our demographics, relationship breakdown is usually in the top three causes. And for the youth demographic, again, right behind individual responsibility, it was relationship breakdown and then student loans as a third. So it's not quite what you would have thought. And we've talked about before on the show in various segments that it's when life happens, that unexpected uh, thing happens Mm -hmm. uh, that can throw you for a huge loop and, and get you into that trouble or that problem area and you don't know what to do. Exactly. And, you know, sometimes if you've had time to establish yourself, you know, you're 40, 50 years old, ideally you've been able to save, you know, a bit of an emergency fund when life does happen and your income gets interrupted or some big expense comes, you can tap into that emergency fund. If you're under 30 years old, you probably haven't had the time to accumulate assets that are going to get you through. So you're even more financially precarious at that point. Got it. Okay. Um, What are the other, uh, sort of, when is the period of time or is is there a specific time when people go, yikes, I am in trouble now. I need to do something about it. Have you been able to sort of glean information from that, from your people? Yeah, definitely. So we asked all of those questions. And the reason we do this study, Elaine, is we know debt's a fact of life. You know, almost everybody in BC has some consumer debt these days, but there's so little insight about it. You know, we don't study it much. We don't talk about it. So we wanted to go into depth. So we asked people, you know, how did you know you were having a problem? Mm -hmm. And the top three um, responses from students, you know, first was just, they just saw that they were continually accumulating more debt. So they'd look at their debt one year and they'd make payments all year and they'd look at their debt at the end of the year and it would be either the same or higher. So right. they just weren't getting ahead. Well, especially when you think that you're actually making a dent in it yeah. and, it's, and that's not the case. Right. So it wasn't that they were getting sued. It wasn't that people were carting their furniture away. It's that they looked at their financial situation and said, you know what, I'm really, I'm digging, but I'm not getting any further ahead here. Right. right? And then there's the other sort, sort of more obvious ones when, when you start getting those calls. Exactly. Yeah. There's, there's nothing that can put fear in 
in someone's mind more quickly than, you know, the first time a collector calls you. And, you know, generally they're not using, you know, the empathetic tones that we understand your situation. Yeah. They're using the, you will be in court, I will have a lawyer at your door, you know, they'll be making all of these kinds of threats. So, you know, the collection calls, that usually spurs people to pick up the phone to call us as well. Now, we've also included ma- only making minimum payments. And I think mm-hmm. that's a really important uh point to raise and just to keep in the back of your mind always is that even though the various uh, credit cards and banking institutions will say your minimum payments is required, let's say it's $18 this month, the key is not to just pay that minimum Mm -hmm. payment because... That's just never good. You're never going to get ahead of it. That's the right word, Elaine. It's the never, never plan. You will never pay off that debt. And that was the third factor that people said was most common for causing them to reach out for help is they looked closely at their statements and the credit card companies have to disclose if you only make the minimum payments, how long is it going to take to pay off the debt? You know, quite often I see 40 years, 80 years, 100 years. I saw one this this week, Elaine, 700 years. Oh my gosh. I I couldn't believe that. That's just crazy. The person that sends out that that statement, like, really? Yeah. <laughs> you don't scribble that out and say, please call us. We should make some arrangements exactly. here. Exactly. Right? That's what should be written there, not yeah. 700 years. It's going to take you 700 years to pay off. Yeah. So what kinds of things, uh, specifically this youth generation, these 30-somethings, uh, what do they do to, mm-hmm. to get out of debt? What are, the, what are the sort of the standard places that they go or, or paths that they take? Yeah, the, the first thing that, that people do in the youth demographic is they look, again, they blame themselves typically and they start to look hard at what's every dollar that's coming in my hands each month and what can I do better with it? So they start to cut expenses Mm -hmm. and we dug a bit deeper and it was the things that you would think and you would hope people would start to reduce. So entertainment or dining out, absolutely first to go. So you you eat out a little bit less, eat at home, stay in. Um, clothing and, you know, personal expenses and shopping, second thing to go. Again, what you would think, the more superfluous, less of the, the necessities. Um, the third thing, which was concerning, was about savings and retirement contributions. Right. Um, so that's something, you know, definitely if you're deep in debt, you want to deal with the debt first before you start to save. But quite often, if you really think long term, you should be putting some money away in RRSPs almost from your first day of employment. Mm-hmm. You should really be starting that, you know, nest egg. And that's money that's always going to be protected. You're not going to lose your RRSPs no matter what. So I was concerned, you know, if people are in debt, they're cutting all their expenses, but they're also cutting their investment in their own future. Right. And I can, it makes, I can see why people would do that because they see it as something extra to have to pay out. But the fact is, um, well, we've just talked about that so many times about what is, what is protected and retirement contributions and all that stuff mm-hmm. are so protected. So uh, just in the last few minutes here, as we talk about this generation, uh, it, you know, we've talked in the past, each generation has its own kind of challenges. What are the 30-somethings, this youth generation up against the most, do you think? Well, I think that the biggest challenge for just about everybody these days is costs continue to go up and up every single year. You know, rent in the last seven, eight years in Vancouver has just went crazy, but wages haven't done so. You right. know, we're talking about raising the minimum wage, which is long overdue, um, but, you know, the minimum wage is barely a living wage anyway. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a big disconnect often between income and then what it actually costs to live. So, you know, a lot of what what people can do, um, you know, is really to take stock of their financial situation. You know, keep a budget each month, write down your expenditures, look closely at your income, but really step back and look at your debt on a bigger picture. Is this something that you can clear in, you know, three years, four years, something like that? If you're on the never-never plan, you need to get off that because it's going to impact you. If you're making these minimum payments, you know, for 10 years plus and not getting ahead, that's incredibly discouraging. 
And that's where someone like you or, or the Sands and Associates comes into play because that's very difficult to do as a single person, kind of take stock of everything and ask themselves the right questions yeah. and then and then plan accordingly, right? Like that's really challenging to do. Oh, exactly. And, you know, if you try to do that with the wrong professional, you know, if you try to have an honest and honest to goodness conversation with a collection agent, you're going to get exactly what's for their interest, not for your interest. So when you go and see a trustee, you get unbiased, independent advice on what's going to help you move forward, regardless of your age in life. I think, too, the other piece that you mentioned about the stagnating wages, uh, it's it's difficult to enter into the workforce unless you've got that education or you've got some that experience or whatever it is and whatever area you're wanting to go into uh, behind you. Mm-hmm. So that's something that folks are up against. I mean, even taking a second job, boy, oh boy, if you're not super qualified or, or well on your way to taking on uh, one job to take on a second one, it's it sounds like the never-never plan again, right? Mm-hmm. Like so challenging to get ahead of it all. Yeah, and, and Elaine, just in the last you know few seconds that we have here, you know, we talked in the study about the psychological impacts of death, the physical, the mental. Uh, we got you know some really startling statistics. You know, as much as one in five people um, under the age of thirty who are in debt, they contemplated suicide as a solution to that. So yeah. the purpose of today's segment is to say, you know what, there are a lot of people have these issues, and we can fix every single issue here. There's no need to be despairing to to think there's no hope. Boy, if this is resonating with you at all and you'd like more information, really easy to do. Uh, Sands and Associates, the website, very easy to get to, sands-trustee.com. Or you can call 1-800-661-3030 for a free consultation and to find an office near you. Sit down with Blair and his team and see if this is something uh, that you're going to be able to take on or want to take on, and they're going to give you a hand with it. Thanks, Blair. Thank you. We'll be back with more right after this. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scull, and along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, helping you get out of debt. Ian Speckman's on the line with us from Maple Ridge Chrysler. Ian's a dealer principal at Maple Ridge Chrysler. Uh, he, uh, and Maple Ridge Chrysler, part of one of Canada's largest auto groups, Auto Canada, 57 dealerships across the country. It's interesting, Ian's got a cool history. He's been in the business for about 32 years, started out as the guy lot jockey when he was 18 and uh, worked his way up from there to sales associate, general man- sales manager, general sales manager, and now the dealer principal. Ian, thanks so much for joining us. Well, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. So we're talking about the the uh, gist of this segment is called getting more miles for your money and how folks can think about a car purchase before they take that first step. What, do you want to talk about your experience in dealing with folks who are considering a car purchase? What are the things that they should be thinking about the most before they walk in your door? Well, you know, preparation is uh, the most important thing. You know, prepare, figure out what your needs actually are. What is it going to be a family vehicle? Is it long-term ownership? Is it short-term? Are you going to be uh, changing vehicles? So really, you know, sit down with your family and figure out what it's going to be you're going to need so that we can better help you put together a package that will work for you. Now, there's a lot of costs in getting a car, uh, one of which, and probably one of the most important ones, is that maintenance issue. and what kind of what kind of percentage do we should I be thinking about before I come in the door, and what I'm going to spend for maintaining the vehicle? Well, we figure that uh, an average ownership of a car over the next five years, you're going to be spending about three thousand dollars. This could be the average 
maintenance you're going to be spending on your vehicle to make sure it's running in its top order. And that's in total, Ian, over the over the five year term. Yeah, that's about that's about what you're going to be looking at. Yeah, does, that'll be including your replacement of your adding your winter tires and things like that. Does that vary by you know car type or brand? Are there certain you know brands that are, are more economical than others? Well, certainly that I'm, I'm looking more on the domestic side of the world. Mm-hmm. Once you start to get into the uh, imports, are slightly more, but you get into the luxury brands, the uh, Audis and the Mercedes, um, you can take that and then easily double it, if not triple it. But uh, you know that's that's the expense of having that nice luxury in your driveway. What about some tips, Ian, for folks that are thinking about uh, getting a new vehicle or? Is or is that the first thing they should think about? New vehicle versus a gently used vehicle. Well, that uh, goes back down to the same thing we started at the very beginning. Is like, what what are you using it for? Is this, if it's a short term purchase where you're going to be having it two three years, definitely look at a used vehicle. You know, something at current model year, maybe two years old, but not much older than that. Something still has warranty. Um, but if you're looking long term, where you're going to keep that vehicle for the next seven to eight years that the, the financing that the manufacturers now offer it for those terms, obviously a new vehicle will give you better service because you'll have longer warranty. The vehicle will last you longer. You'll have the opportunity to actually make that car yourself as far as maintenance, looking after it, doing the things that you want to make it your own personal vehicle. I have my dad's voice in the back of my head saying, you know, the moment you drive that car off the lot, you loot, you know, brand new car off the lot, you've got to think about that depreciation. Your dad was so right. <laughs> we, we, we quite often uh, make reference to it as you're trying to make the best bad decision you're going to. And, and buying a car really isn't a great idea. Maybe we should take the city bus, but it doesn't sit in your driveway. It's not there when you want it to. It doesn't uh, necessarily be a piece of your family or represent who you are as far as style and class. But, you know, that's the price you pay, and you get the luxury and the enjoyment of it. So what about buying a used vehicle? I know there's um, some things to really pay attention to before you purchase it. What are the kinds of questions that I should be asking you? Well, you want to get the history of the vehicle. Where did it come from? Um, A lot of the newer used cars um, will be ex-rentals. And quite Mm. frankly, your ex-rentals is probably a very good, safe place to buy a car. The cars are maintained. The manufacturers make sure the cars are maintained. the rental companies can't put cars out that aren't operating properly. Um, I would probably have a good look at um, any kind of accident history on it. Um, and that today, is again, is not the same as it used to be because you can take a headlight out in a car and it can be a couple thousand dollars. So really get some good detail if there was any damage on there. If there was damage, you should be paying less for the car, um, only because you're going to get less than you go to trade it in. That's uh, fortunate, but that's just a fact. Um, check car packs, car proof, um, make sure that the dealer uh, or even privately um, that you get the history search on it. And I would go with a car fax. I'm um, sorry, my apologies, car proof. Car fax doesn't give as much coverage as car proof. Um, it's the best $56 you can spend on uh, getting history in a car, especially if you're buying privately. Because you, once you buy privately, you have very little recourse if there is any issues. Whereas you buy with dealer, um, we have representatives, representatives to actually look after that. Um, we stand behind it. If there's a problem, we can always find you something different or give you back your money. Yeah, it's a pretty efficient system. I've used that a couple of times when I've purchased vehicles uh, of getting the history. And it's pretty available for a dealership or a, or a salesperson before you, before you purchase the car to find out the exact history. 
Yeah, we most dealerships will run a car a car a car proof on it. Um, when we buy them from auctions, they provide us that information. So it's it's pretty much the standard in the industry today. But what? again, if you're going private, that's where you have to be cautious. Right, absolutely. And, and do I have it? Is there a, a private way of finding out the car history if I'm buying it privately uh, from my neighbor, let's say? Just log in to car, uh, carproof.com uh, and okay. uh, pay your $56 and they'll spit it out for you. Okay, perfect. Okay, I don't think that, I don't think that was around uh, in my last purchase, so that's interesting to know. What about out-of-province cars, Ian? Do I have to pay attention to that, where that vehicle's come from? Yeah, certainly. You know, there's, there's out-of-province cars. Um, you have to be uh, somewhat cautious. You know, Quebec region tends to be very harsh on cars, Ontario somewhat, Yukon, hmm. um, things like that. But you can actually be in northern British Columbia and have as hard a time on the car as you're going to be in Calgary, or actually Calgary probably less problem. Um, some of the provinces don't use as much salt as uh, other areas do. So you know, check your out-of-province. I'd avoid, like, the Quebec cars. Um, the, the very far, far north cars, but you know, get the cars inspected, um, get a private inspection. Dealerships do have licensed mechanics that their licenses are theirs, not the dealership. So they do a thorough inspection because it's their name they're putting on the line, not the dealership. So they're very cautious on what, how they um, you know, inspect your vehicle to make sure they give you a proper and accurate uh, information, make a, a good judgment call. But you can also use BCAA or any of the third parties. Um, and have a good look at it because, you know, again, it might cost you $50 to save you thousands down the road. Now, that, that definitely makes a lot of sense, Ian. Um, you know, the idea of, of our show is we want to be able to give people tips all the time, you know, to, to live a better financial life, more secure, and, and cost savings. Now, this might be something that you think you're saving money when you're not, because I know sometimes people try to do their own car maintenance, but there can be some pitfalls to avoid. So I wonder if you can give us just a quick sense of, you know, what is something you could perhaps do yourself if you're a little mechanically inclined, and other things you should absolutely not do because you might void a warranty and cost yourself a whole lot more money in the end. Well, we, we have uh, underneath the Chrysler cars, we have these, these points that are called yellow spots, and it's the dipstick and it's the fuel filler and the washer fluid. We say you're allowed to touch the yellow spots for us, a trained technician do. Um, the problem is if you do it yourself, you're not going to know the little things that the techs are going to know when they're looking at your car. They miss the slightest little thing, or you miss the slightest little thing, you could cause big problems. But change your oil, that's going to be a pretty safe one. Um, Anything beyond that, I would really not do it. Um, you could rotate your tires, but quite frankly, make sure you have nitrogen in your tires and make sure you have you know, tire pressures maintained. That's really going to make your tires last the longest. Um, really, uh, go, you know, either a, go to a, a service center. Obviously, I prefer you come to a dealership because, quite frankly, we have the trained technicians that can work on it faster and see problems and know how to head them off before they become major uh, issues. That's great advice, Ian. Ian Speckman, that's who we've been talking to for Maple Ridge Chrysler, dealer principal of the operation. MapleRidgeChrysler.com is the website. You're listening to Elaine Scullin along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, and the show is called Dollars and Cents. We'll be back with more right after this. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, helping you get out of debt. 
In this segment, we're talking with Marlene Byrne. Uh, she's an estate manager and qualified insolvency counselor with Sands & Associates. Uh, she had been a, a credit counselor, lender, bank manager. Marlene has got experience in all kinds of areas of banking and credit, in addition to over 10 years of experience in the insolvency field. Marlene, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you for having me, Elaine. Now, financial counseling, pretty significant uh, uh, part uh, in someone's personal bankruptcy or consumer proposal must help folks a lot as they go through this process. Yes, um, I really believe that it does. Um, I quite enjoy helping people, and if I can share some of my experience and knowledge that I've accumulated working in finance for many years, um, you know, to get a better, more secure financial place, then I feel really good about that, and financial counseling is a great way to uh, to achieve that. I think then this is one of the pieces that really puts Sands and Associates apart from uh, all co- uh, other folks uh, that you want to go to uh, dealing if you're wanting to deal with a, a debt situation. Is that empathy um, sounds like pretty non-judgmental experience uh, and very respectful of when folks walk through the door with, and they're literally just kind of showing you their life and this is where I've not done a very good job. Can you give me a hand? Absolutely. And, and that can be, you know, a very sort of scary, vulnerable place for people as well. So I think that, you know, definitely, um, you know, non, non-judgmental, you know, this is where we're at at this moment. And, you know, allowing people to chat with you and discuss, you know, what sort of happened up to this point in their life, what sort of, you know, has driven the situation. And, you know, understanding that life can, you know, throw you many curveballs. And, um, you know, having, I come from a large family myself, I've seen, you know, many things. And I know that uh, the last thing that people need coming in when they're feeling very vulnerable is to be judged. You know, they want you to be there to, to assist them through the process and try to be as, you know, empathetic and understanding as you can be about the situation. And I, and I hope, and I, I strongly believe that SANS is wonderful when it comes to that. A lot of the estate managers that I know personally are, are, are great people. Yeah, because the last thing you need is, uh, is somebody giving you a hard time when you've had the guts or feels like this enormous amount of guts to come through the door in the first place. Absolutely. My mom used to always say, you can never judge someone until you've walked in their shoes. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, now, Marlene, you and I, we, we work together a lot on bankruptcies and consumer proposals. And yes. sometimes clients are surprised that, you know, when we fix a debt situation, we're not just looking at, you know, the dollars on, on the page and just, you know, scrubbing off the debt and that's that. You know, they actually have to meet with us. They have to sit down and do some really in-depth financial counseling. And, you know, some people are very surprised about that. I wonder if you could spend a couple minutes just talking about how how is counseling integrated into either a bankruptcy or, or a proposal? You know, what's, what's the requirements, what's covered, and how is it beneficial? Absolutely. So basically, both restructuring options have two financial counseling sessions provided, and both are done one-on-one by a qualified insolvency counselor. Um, the registered insolvency counselor would be an individual that's, you know, gone to school, um, obtained some qualifications and skills uh, to be able to provide this counseling. They would have had to pass an, pass an exam and as well as perform uh, many hours of supervised practice. And I think that's one of the key things is actually having the hands-on, you know, practice sessions with another licensed um, counselor. I think that makes a huge difference. Um, in becoming more 
well-rounded and understanding the process. Um, having, you know, financial background obviously really, really helps and people skills. Uh, that's a huge part um, of the job. I love the part uh, as well that, that these counseling sessions are part of the rules that if you're uh, going to go into either consumer proposal or bankruptcy, uh, that you get these and that you guys, Sands and Associates, willingly provides them. Uh, and it sounds like uh, from you, uh, just a really good listener, Marlene. Well, thank you. And, and as I said, I really do believe that, you know, that is key and crucial when you have people coming in and they're sitting down with you. It's a very scary thing just to make that initial phone call, um, let alone come through the door and meet with someone. And, you know, you're kind of, you're, you're letting them in and uh, understanding, you know, everything that sort of happened in their circumstance and situation. And that can be a very sensitive, uh, a very sensitive thing for them. So, uh, you know, it, it's interesting as well to know that, you know, back Back in the day, many years ago, um, when people would file in, they wouldn't. There was no, there was no counseling component, which is kind of interesting to know. Um, and it's wonderful to know that now that we do offer that. So not only are we helping people, you know, get a fresh start, but also helping them to sort of sit down and say okay, well, these are some of the reasons why we're here, and let's look at some, you know, ways and strategies to cope um, should things, when things come up in the future, you know, because they always will, you know, at some point, uh, even if you're going through something like this, you're always having things come up. Right. Now, and Marlene, they, they would meet with you a, a couple of times, at, at least for counseling over the course of the, the proceeding. I wonder if you can tell me, you know, a little bit more of a, a detailed level, you know, the first counseling session, what's the topics, what are the the objectives, you know, what, what should somebody expect when they come in for a first counseling session? When they come in for the first counseling session? Well, I think that um, when they come in for the first counseling session, generally the, the, the topics that we would cover would be um, money management, uh, spending and shopping habits, uh, financial difficulties, warning signs, and obtaining and using credit. Those are some of the things that um, I would go through with clients when they would come to see me for the first session. Um, we do see, uh, you know, clients from varying demographics, um, and we do have a set of guidelines that, of course, we have to follow in these sessions. But one of the things that I think is really wonderful, too, um, about SANS is that we do try to individualize the topics uh, needed to be covered to suit the individual that's sitting in front of you as well, right? So you have sort of these uh, this guideline that you would go through, but then you would also try to individualize it as well. For, for example, um, we see a lot of self-employed individuals, and uh, their incomes uh, are quite often very uneven, you know, up and down. Um, and it can be extremely hard for uh, those types of individuals with that kind of varying income to create a budget um, and to work within one. You know, so we will sit down with them, and we, we often talk about creating a baseline for them so that, you know, they know exactly what they need on a monthly basis in order to, you know, to live um, and to set monies aside as well. Um, and then we would speak with them about creating um, an account where if they're making over that amount in a month, they're depositing into it. And in a month where they're making under that amount, they're withdrawing from it. You know, we go into some detail um, in regards to budgeting. And I think uh, that is, you know, a, a very wonderful service that we provide um, clients that come in to see us is that, you know, specializing and chatting with them about their individual circumstances as well. 
when the f- person is first sitting down and you're going through your, your list of things to talk about, mm-hmm. when you get to that shopping habits, spending and shopping habits, what are some of the, are there a couple of key pieces that you, you listen for that then you know, okay, that's an area that we have to do some work on or we don't have to do some work on? Like, what are the warning signs of, around that? Absolutely. Well, one of the things that I say, Elaine, is I say, okay, now it's time for a little psychology in the package. And um, we have something that we call uh, a compulsive shopper checklist. And it's kind of neat because it gets people thinking, okay, you know, are, are any of these areas areas that, you know, that would stand out for myself? And almost, you know, a, a good percentage of people can identify with this area. Um, and then we chat a little bit about that. And we also talk about, you know, um, technology nowadays. It so easy to spend money um, quite quickly, you know, with the debit cards, and now we have the tap, um, all of these, you know, t- all of the I technology. love the tap, Marlene. <laughs> I think that's the best technology ever. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. But it sort of takes away that, you know, the restraint from us, too, where we actually have a minute to go, okay, hold on a second here. Do I really need that, right? right. So it kind of takes away that, that buffer, I guess you would call it. Totally. That, that sometimes can be quite a wonderful thing for us as well, because we may talk ourselves out of perhaps buying something that we don't really need at this moment in time. Right, well, that second thought that yeah. you might take I, instead of sort of instead of counting out the twenty dollar bills, yeah. just flipping the card on it. Uh, when you're flipping out those twenty dollar bills, yeah, right. you get a, a sort of second sober thought. And there's a little bit of psychology in there too. You sure. know, as humans, I think that when we are holding cash. We have a, you know, uh, we'll, we'll basically think in our minds, okay, well, we don't want to break that dollar bill, whatever it is, a 20 or a 50, you know, perhaps. But for some reason, it's almost surreal with the debit cards. So we're, we're more apt to just go right ahead and, you know, and utilize it. So it's kind of this interesting thing, I think, that happens in our minds. And there's a little bit of, um, you know, like I say, it's a little surreal when we're using the card. Even young people who are wonderful about checking their apps and looking at their banking balances and all these kinds of things going on, there's still kind of this thing that happens, I think, in our mind where we're not really associating it with, you know, the reality of what's actually going on with our finances at this moment in time. We will just keep using the debit card without really kind of thinking. I say, I often say we kind of go into autopilot when we use the debit card, you know, um, and one of the things that I talk about, actually, is grocery shopping, because groceries are um, on the list of things that oftentimes clients are not aware of what they're actually spending in that area. I think so, that's a really good point. I know that I, I don't pay nearly as close attention as I should on that stuff. You bet. So when, if we go into a grocery store and we you know, go through the aisles and we do our thing and we use the debit card, we're not really thinking. But if we go in knowing we have cash... It kind of changes the way that we process things. So we'll be thinking, number one, there's no way I'll get up to the cashier without enough money to pay for this because it's far too embarrassing, number one. Um, and, and then so we'll be thinking things like, okay, well, how many dinners, how many lunches, how many breakfasts do I need, you know, um, at this point in time with the cash that I have? And we'll start planning. And awareness is such a huge factor in, in, in all financial things, um, especially when it comes to pre-planning, you know, a little bit of pre-planning uh, and awareness. I think those are, are crucial things. Marlene uh, Byrne is an estate manager and qualified insolvency counselor with Sands & Associates, uh, one of the many people, good people at Sands & Associates that you'd have an opportunity to talk with. Thank you so much for joining us. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. 
You're listening to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, helping you get out of debt. So let's dispel a myth that only people who are bad at budgeting get to that point of needing some uh, debt management help. Because I'm pretty sure that's that's what we all think. I know I yeah. do, right? That's the perception. It is. It's mm-hmm. the perception. It's a standard one. Uh, in today, you know, in today's age, yeah, you're just not able to manage your uh, your dollars and cents very well. But that's but that's not the case, right? Yeah. So even when um, Elaine, when I was studying to become a trustee, I started to wonder, you know, at some point, are we going to run out of people to help? You know, because at some point, everyone's going to learn how to budget. Everyone's going to learn these great tools, and then no one's going to need the help of a trustee uh, to go into bankruptcy or a proposal. Because I think a lot of us have this going in assumption that there's a huge element of mismanagement to somebody getting into financial trouble. I think for today, let's talk about, you know, the real facts behind it. Sometimes mismanagement is a factor, but there's often things just completely outside of a person's control that any of us could end up in that situation. And that show up out of the blue, completely unexpected, anything from uh, uh, death in the family to health issues, personal health issues. I mean, all kinds of things. I mean, you know how quickly your day can get derailed by something going on in your family. Uh, So yeah, so that happens to everybody. Yeah, it's basically life happens and there's often a financial impact to those events. Now, through all your years of doing this, there must be sort of a set of common causes or or things that you see time and time again, uh, not having anything to do with mismanagement of of your own money. So let's talk about those. Oh, yeah, definitely. You know, there's there's probably about four really core causes um, that, you know, come up again and again. And, you know, some of them do overlap a little bit. Um, But, you know, the number one thing, and this is not surprising by any means, but it's a lack of income. You know, it's, it's either they've lost a job, you know, someone had a great job for many years and we should all have an emergency fund built up, but maybe they weren't able to save that emergency fund or maybe it's it's gone out. Um, so they've, they've just had their income shocked, you know, they've, they've lost their job or they've replaced their job, but it's at a lower wage. Sure. So, you know, that that's huge. Now, often that also happens in retirement um, because every year in retirement, you know, your cost of livings increases, um, but your pension is typically not indexed to the same amount if it's indexed at all. Absolutely. So a lot of uh, seniors, they find just every year their, their buying power is eroding uh, and that lack of income can lead to them getting into trouble with their debts. Sure. And those are two things that are completely out of your own control. Mm-hmm. Now, what about relationship stuff? Because that can always throw huge uh, wrenches into people's lives. Yeah. So that's definitely, you know, the second factor that we should discuss today is, is you know, relationship breakdown, divorce, separation. So one of the most disruptive things you can imagine emotionally, but incredibly disruptive financially also. Um, so you've got essentially the same expenses on half of the income. If you've got to go and reestablish yourself, you've got a bunch of upfront costs, you know, perhaps it's to furnish a new apartment, to give a first and last month's rent or to put damage deposit or things like like that, you know, there could be childcare costs mm-hmm. if it's a relationship where, you know, one family member was staying at home and now not both have to work, you know, that could be it. You know, sometimes there's some, you know, horrible eventualities like a, a spouse passes away yeah. and, you know, suddenly that, you know, the income is gone. Maybe there's some insurance, maybe not, but, you know, the, the financial situation takes a big hit um, and definitely not <laughs> by a small factor, but just the legal fees. You know, if everything's amicable, that's great. But sometimes, you know, both sides get a lawyer, they use the lawyer as a weapon to get back at each other, and sure. the only one that wins in the end is the actual lawyer. Right, making lots and lots of money as mm-hmm. a result of it. Um, 
So again, something completely out of our control. And also, you know, I was thinking as you were going through that list, we don't have control over the things like uh, uh, the cost of living, Mm -hmm. cost of daycare, cost of running a car now that you didn't have to before, insurance, all those things. So it's incredibly expensive. Yeah. And just, you know, that many things we pay for now that previous generations didn't have to pay for. You ever see a bottle of water in 60s, 70s, 80s? Not much, right? And everyone's carrying bottles of water around. Yeah. A cell phone didn't exist back then, but hey, you're lucky if you're paying less than 70 or 80 bucks a month on a cell phone and usually a lot more. So it costs a lot more to live now. um, And, you know, unfortunately, wages haven't really increased along, along the same scale here. Okay, what else? Yeah, so so moving along, so, you know, we talked about a lack of income. We talked about a relationship breakdown. Definitely, you know, probably a third in magnitude or, or pretty close to number two there is medical issues. So, you know, you got sick. You had to take some time off of work or you have to do this expensive therapy that as much as we have socialized medicine in this country, not everything is covered. And if you don't have a good employer-sponsored plan, you know, you could be out of pocket very significantly while you're going through some type of a, of a health scare. Um, so, you know, sometimes it's you had to retire five, 10 years sooner than you wanted to, and you just weren't financially ready, but your health gave out and there was nothing that you could do. Right. And the uh, the unforeseen accidents, things that just happen out of the blue, right? Either yeah. at work or just walking across the street. Sounds very mm-hmm. dire, right? All these things that we're talking about that can yeah. happen. But I think it's good to sort of, for a juxtaposition, to change people's thinking that it's not just debt uh, management or poor management of your money mm-hmm. and leading you into a debt, but there's a whole bunch of things. Yeah, and, uh, and how can you not be compassionate to someone in those, in those situations? So, you know, if that's something people take away from this. It's to understand if you see, hey, this person filed a bankruptcy, or this person, you know, made a consumer proposal, they probably did that after exhausting everything else that they could have done. And to deal with some of these issues that we've talked about, again, I don't see people that are out there to, you know, actively try to pay back less than they owe when they have the ability to do so. Exactly. Because I think everybody, for the most part, wants to, you know, is good to their word, right? And you've, yeah, yeah. I can't think of another way to explain it other than that. Mm -hmm. So, um, so if debts, if your debts are out of control or, or, or let's, let's flip that around. Let's say they're under control and pretty good, but if you get a couple of things that now fall apart on you, yeah. then that, again, I mean, even small, three small things, oh, yeah. like a rent increase, childcare increase, uh, car insurance, you know, little small percentages, and we hear about those all the time, yeah. that can whack you as well. Oh, yeah. And, and you know, there can be other factors too. You know, maybe you're self-employed and suddenly a large contract that you had decides not to pay or, you know, they go bankrupt or, or something like that. Sure. And that shocks you. Um, you know, maybe the condo that you're living in, hopefully not anymore, but there was a period of time when leaky condos in BC, you know, right. massive special assessment. So, you know, really the the things in life that can happen are you know, can have financial impact. Yeah, and forget about even leaky condos. I mean, uh, present day kinds of things uh, that if you're in a strata and they need major improvements yeah. or it's a 25-year-old building and now it's time to replace the roof and the special assessment's going to be 10 grand. Well, 10 grand on a small family or a young family or even retired, right? It's a challenge for sure. Yeah, it can be the straw that breaks the camel's back. And you know, what I see a lot of the time is is many of these folks, they're managing just fine. You know, they maybe have a bunch of debt, but they're keeping up on all the minimums and things are okay. But 
there's one shock to the system and then suddenly they can no longer make the minimums. And then, you know, they're over limit on one card and it gets cut off and they're moving money from one to another. And then the bank seizes some of their assets. So it can spiral downwards pretty quickly. Now, I know that you see people take action before they come and see you. What are the mm-hmm. kinds of things that people do? Just is there a bit of a list for those? Yeah. So definitely, you know, everyone starts to look in, inward first. So they try to think, OK, well, what can I do to cut my expenses? So, you know, the first thing and we've asked all our clients about this is, you know, they look at their housing expenses. But housing is very difficult to reduce. It's one, you know, one of the more fixed costs that you can deal with. Yeah, you can move. But in Vancouver these days, it's going to be pretty difficult sure. to get something to rent for lower than what you're paying now. So, you know, people look at cutting expenses. But then what they often do is they enlarge the problem and they make it worse because they borrow from friends and family. And then now suddenly, instead of having to let down MasterCard Visa and that, you've got to let down, you know, your brother, sister, parent, or whatever. Or just that stress of owing the money now, too, Exactly. So, you know, in the short term, you think, okay, this money might get me through a little bit, but oftentimes they just become another creditor and you still have to deal with the issue in the end. But now you've got a family member that you're going to let down at at that same time. So what can you do that would actually stop you from having a big debt problem and you've got a couple of these things going on. Expenses have risen and you're feeling very pinched. What's What are the kinds of things that are really positive, good things to do? You know, a couple of things you'd have to have done before the fact, right? Before the things happen. So the number one thing is just to protect yourself by having some savings. You know, best practice is anywhere from three to six months of expenses in a savings account that you never touch. So if you were unemployed, you could make all of your monthly bills for the next three to six months without any stress. Right. And so, we say that easily. And yeah. that's really challenging yeah. for a lot and, of folks. And who's got that? Who's, I'm sorry, I don't have it. Exactly. <laughs> you know, it, it's exactly. very difficult. And I'm an expert here. So, yeah. you know, it's very difficult to save that amount of money because life intervenes. You know, what you can do when you're facing the storm is you can actively avoid making it worse. So, you know, oftentimes people will start to go to payday lenders. Um, you know, they'll go to other high interest rate lenders, you know, loan sharks or things like that. Again, they'll borrow from friends and family or they'll just put their head in the sand and they'll say, well, as long as I've got a credit limit here that's not at the max yet, I'm just going to keep using that until I can't use it anymore. Exactly, yeah. Lots of things, lots of, lots of good ideas. For more information, check out the website, sands-trustee.com. Uh, if any of this information, if it's sort of sticking to you and you're thinking, I need to do something, go to the website. You can book your free consultation with one of the experts and start living, or at least take those first steps towards living that debt-free life. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.